If you're listening to this episode, then you might just be ready to join me on a journey through the Twilight Zone. My name's Tom Elliott and I'm the host of the Twilight Zone podcast and I just wanted to do a short recording before you begin that journey. Now I'm not recording this from 2010 when I began the Twilight Zone podcast, but I'm recording it from 2019 in the 60th anniversary of the Twilight Zone. Now it might be that that's what's brought you here to the beginning of this journey, that you've listened to the coverage of that show and now you want to know how it all began. So before you go on that journey, I just want to say a couple of things. Originally, my vision for the Twilight Zone podcast was basically me watching an episode of the Twilight Zone and putting a few thoughts on a recording and putting it out there. But the thing is, I couldn't really keep it that way. The more I watched the show, the more I became enamoured with the show, enamoured with the people involved with it, the stories behind it, and of course with Rod Sailing himself. So if it seems a little basic when you begin, it's because this was recorded nine years ago, and it was pretty basic. But what happens is it becomes something else. The examinations become more involved, The stories behind the show become more prevalent. I even start to get interviews with people like Mark Zickrey, the author of The Twilight Zone Companion, Steve Rubin, the author of The Twilight Zone Encyclopedia, and even Anne Serling, the daughter of legendary creator Rod Serling. So what I'm saying is this, you know, if you're starting this journey, then if it does seem basic, stick with it, because the show evolves. My love of The Twilight Zone increases, And what starts out as me just putting a few thoughts on a recording starts to become something else. And it goes from that basic beginning to the award-winning Twilight Zone podcast that it is today. So keep going on that journey. My presentation gets better. The editing gets better. I learn the lessons of doing it while I'm on the job. Now, throughout the course of the podcast, I do mention changes of website, changes of email address. So as you go through on this journey, please disregard those things and basically just remember the only website address you need to know is thetwilightzonepodcast.com and the only email address you need to know is tom at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. So thank you for listening. Thank you for beginning this journey. And like I say, stick with it because there are some great surprises along the way. So let's go back to 2010 where I begin my journey or our journey into the Twilight Zone. How do you do? You gentlemen, of course, know how to push a product. That essentially is your job. My presence here is for much the same purpose, simply to push a product. To acquaint you with an entertainment product which we hope and which we rather expect will make your product pushing that much easier. What you're about to see, gentlemen, is a series called The Twilight Zone. We think it's a rather special kind of series. Essentially, people watch television to get entertained. And the keynote of this series, the thing we're concerned with, the thing we're aiming for, the thing we're working toward is entertainment. This is a series for the storyteller, because it's our thinking that an audience will always sit still and listen and watch a well-told story. And now that I've immodestly gone on record predicting the high quality of this series, let me very briefly show you what we mean by a special kind of series. So now the ham walks off to allow the real object and point to entertain you. 
the pilot show of your series. Earl Holloman, James Gregory, starring in Where Is Everybody? So, gentlemen, please sit back and take your first trip into the Twilight Zone. There is a sixth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the sunlight of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area that might be called the twilight zone. The place is here, the time is now, and the journey into the shadows that we are about to watch could be our journey. Now, there may be some of you out there who got a slight surprise then when it wasn't the clipped tones of Rod Serling that introduced us to the very first episode of The Twilight Zone, Where Is Everybody? It was a gentleman called Westbrook Van Voorhees. He was the original narrator. Now, when it was decided that his voice was too pompous sounding for the introduction, names like Orson Welles were thrown around. Now, Rod Serling wasn't too keen on Wells being the narrator, and it turned out that he was too expensive anyway. So, as we know, Rod Serling himself took the job, and all I can say is thank God he did. Now, to me, Rod Serling became more than just a narrator, especially later on when he started to actually appear on screen, sometimes in really interesting and imaginative ways. He was more like an emissary from the Twilight Zone itself, you could... Almost imagine that he was some sort of being from the fifth dimension who would appear in a form that we could comprehend, you know, maybe to hand out wisdom or act as a judge to whoever was in that week's story. You know, maybe that's thinking about it too much, but his presence certainly gave the show a certain unmistakable personality. Would the Twilight Zone still be as fondly remembered now if Sailing hadn't taken that step to become the narrator? Well, I like to think that the stories would have endured regardless, and I think they would, but I don't think anyone would doubt that when we look back at the series now, that voice, that delivery, the impeccable appearance, they're all so ingrained in our collective memories now that it'd be really difficult to remember it any other way. So, with that decision made, the pilot, with the new narration, was televised. So here it is, the way it should be, Rod Sailing introducing the first episode of The Twilight Zone. You're travelling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. The place is here. The time is now. And the journey into the shadows that we're about to watch could be our journey. So there it is, Where Is Everybody, written by Rod Serling, directed by Robert Stevens, and originally broadcast on the 2nd of October in 1959. 
Mike Ferris, the main character, is played by Earl Holliman, who's also famous for being in one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time, Forbidden Planet. Now for this pilot episode, the synopsis probably couldn't be simpler. A man in an Air Force suit finds himself alone in a town. We learn that he's got no memory of who he is or how he got there. He enters a diner hoping to get something to eat. The coffee pot's on the stove, the jukebox is still playing. And for all we know, and for all he knows, the waiter or waitress is just out back taking a break. So he starts to call out. Hey, you got a customer out here! I'm an eggs, eggs over easy hash brown. Hungry cash customer. I got $2.85, American money. Sure, American money. Well, we got that much settled, I'm an American. You see, there's some question about my identity. Let me put it to you this way, I'm not sure who I am. But I got $2.85 and I'm hungry, that much is established. Now, on an initial watch, that speech can seem a little loaded. It certainly does to me. You know, yes, you'd walk into an empty diner and shout for some assistance, but would you really put that much detail into into what you're saying about your amnesia and so on? But later on, when we find out who Mike actually is, it does become more acceptable, but we'll get to that later. Now, for me, that scene immediately has some of the elements that I love about the Twilight Zone. You know, the Americana. Nothing says America to a Brit more than a diner with some music playing on the jukebox. It's got a great actor, Earl Holliman. Now, he's actually quite humble about this role, something we'll get to later, but for me, he's immediately likeable. I'm pretty much immediately rooting for him. So, he's alone in the diner. The jukebox is playing. The coffee pot's on the stove. And this is another nice detail that Serling's added to the story. Not only does Mike arrive in the town on his own, but when he goes into a location, there's usually some sort of detail that something or someone has been there already. Like I say, the jukebox and the coffee pot in this instance. Later on, there's a cigar in an ashtray. And this adds that little bit of extra mystery, like maybe something's toying with Mike. So he leaves the cafe and heads into town, and it's here that we start to really see how alone Mike is. The town's deserted, and Mike just basically goes from place to place looking for people. Now one of Rod Serling's inspirations for the story was when he walked out onto an old studio set of a town and it was deserted, and... This is very much what we're seeing here, a a kind of old American town square, if you like. Now, it's quite amazing what a striking effect it is. We've seen it used quite a few times over the past few years. Films like um, Vanilla Sky, 28 Days Later, and I Am Legend spring to mind. But here's Sailing doing it 40 plus years earlier. Now, it's in these scenes where there's possibly a little mistake. At one point, while he's searching the town, Mike starts to hear a telephone ringing. It's in a phone booth across the road from where he is. Now again, it's this feeling that not only is Mike alone, but perhaps he's being watched or toyed with. Now as he looks across the road to the phone booth, our view is through a wire fence. But then, when the view shifts to the point of view of the phone booth, and Mike runs across the road to answer the phone, there's no fence to be seen, so... 
Is it a goof is, or is there some kind of meaning behind it? I don't know and I've not been able to actually find the answer to that. But the thing is, I hadn't actually noticed about it until I read about it, you know, so, cu so caught up was I in the episode, so I don't think it matters either way. Now, of course, when Mike answers the phone, there's nobody there. And when he tries to exit the phone booth by pushing the door open, he appears to be stuck. He can't get out, so he, he starts to panic. But actually, he's just got himself so worked up that he's pushing the door when really he should be pulling and this is one of a few autobiographical elements in the story by Rod Serling. This exact same thing happened to him at an airport once. So Mike's starting to get more and more agitated now and the sense of panic is really starting to escalate it. Now it reaches a head when he goes into a police station and he goes into one of the jail cells because the tap is running and the door starts to close behind him. Now obviously what worse fate is there than being trapped in a cell when there's nobody to bring you food or let you out. Now I really like this touch, it might seem like a small detail but to me when that door started to move on the jail cell it kind of gave me a sense that not only was Mike being watched but whatever was pulling the strings here might also mean him harm and it was just waiting for an opportunity. Now we learn later that's not really the case, but it's a good red herring, so it's a detail that I really enjoy about the episode. So Mike runs from the police station in panic and he shouts, where is everybody? Now as moments go, this is probably one of the weakest parts of the episode. When he shouts, he's looking directly into the camera and you can tell that Earl Holliman doesn't quite know how to play that. Now in an interview that Holliman gave in a book called Dimensions Behind the Twilight Zone, by Stuart T. Stanyard. It's a great book and I highly recommend it. He says, I'd love to go back and really play all those moments again and especially at the end of the first act when I come running out of the jail and run right into the camera yelling, where is everybody? I didn't have the experience to really look into that camera. I was a little intimidated by it. And I think you can really see that. And he, he does say that there's a few moments in the episode that he would have liked to have gone back and redone as a more sophisticated actor. Before I get to the ending, there's a couple more scenes that I think bear mentioning. In one of them, Mike's in an ice cream store, and he starts to address himself in the mirror. I'm sorry, old buddy, I don't recollect the name. The face is vaguely familiar, but the name escapes me. I'll tell you what my problem is. I'm in the middle of a nightmare I can't wake up from. And you're part of it. You and the ice cream and the police station and the phone booth, a little mannequin, this whole bloody town, wherever it is, whatever it is. I just remembered something. Scrooge said it. You remember Scrooge, old buddy, Ebenezer Scrooge? That's what he said to that ghost, Jacob Marley. He said, you may be an undigested bit of beef, a crumb of cheese, a blot of mustard, a fragment of an undone potato. But there's more of gravy than of grave about you. You see, that's what you are. You're what I had for dinner last night. You must be. But now I've had it, I'd like to wake up. I'd like to wake up now. Now, I've heard criticism that Mike is a bit too much of a ham and eggs kind of guy to be able to quote things like that, and perhaps it was sailing's intelligence shining through a bit. 
And while I can see why people might say that, I do think it's a really nice moment and well played by Holloman, so I don't begrudge it being in there. Now the last thing I think that bears mentioning is a scene where Mike is really starting to panic now. Things are really escalating and he's in a cinema and he runs down a flight of stairs straight into a mirror which breaks and he falls to the floor. Now it's a really good effect because first of all we don't realise that it's Mike running towards a mirror and the effect itself is quite cleverly done. What they did was they fixed the camera to the floor and they filmed one shot where Earl Holliman ran down the stairs, hit the mirror and fell over without actually breaking it. Then they did another shot where Holliman wasn't actually in shot and a guy was stood behind the mirror with a sledgehammer and he hits the back of it so that the mirror breaks. Then the two shots were composited together and it's beautifully done, very effective and Again, you could say maybe as a moment it doesn't make much sense. Why would he run downstairs into a mirror? You would see your own reflection before you hit it. But again, when we get to the end and the twist, it's really a case of anything can happen in this scenario. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense. So here's why. Now, I'm going to talk about the ending here, so it will be very heavy on the spoilers and... I must stress there will be heavy spoilers in every episode of the Twilight Zone podcast. We find out that Mike isn't really in the town at all. He's actually in an isolation booth at a military base where he's spent the last 484 hours. Now the whole thing is a test to see how he reacts to the isolation that he'd have to go through in space because he's a trainee astronaut. Now, initially when I was watching the episode, I thought maybe he's in some sort of virtual reality simulator and that would have been really forward thinking by sailing. But no, it's actually the whole town scenario was a figment of Mike's imagination. Basically, he cracked. The isolation was too much for him. So, overall, how would I rate this pilot episode? Where is everybody? I think it's generally very strong, you know, the setup is simple and effective and the way Mike's panic escalates is really well done. And again, there's always that sense that someone is watching or something is going on behind the scenes and we don't quite know what. Again, I think Holliman is better than he gives himself credit for. One of the things he says in that interview that he's very proud to have done it, but while he's the one that did do it, he's not the only one that could have done it. And I guess that's true, but I don't think he let himself down with the performance. He was a worthy first person to set foot into the Twilight Zone. Now the major thing that does let the episode down is that looking back now, having seen the show that the Twilight Zone would become, it's not the best of endings. There's really no unexplained element that a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes had. Now of course it's not just me who thinks that, it's out there. As criticism of that episode goes, a lot of Twilight Zone commentators have picked up on it. Now Sailing himself said in 1975 that unlike Goodwine, the film hasn't taken the years very well. It's quite telling that when Sailing adapted the story for a Twilight Zone book, he added an extra element where when Mike enters the cinema, he picks up a ticket and he puts it in his pocket. Now, later on, when he's being taken from the isolation booth, he reaches into his pocket and the ticket is still there. Now, Earl Holliman tells a story where he suggested something along those lines to Rod Sailing on set, but Sailing was concerned that he didn't want to make the episode too out there because the television company CBS wanted realism. Now, Sailing also criticised the overuse of monologues 
and how he could have been a bit cleverer with that. Now he says he would have seated Ferris on the counter and took a shot through the door and there's a little white cloth that moves like the apron of a cook. And he says, hey buddy, I'd like ham and eggs. You've got quite a tan here. You like this music and so on and so on. Finally, he goes over and it's an apron hanging from a hook blowing in a fan. You can't continue to make this man talk to a ghost and get any sense of reality at all. And it gets a little ludicrous after a while. And I do have to agree, there are those moments where Hollyman is over-explaining things to nobody. But as Twilight Zone episodes go, I'd still say it, it is one of the good ones. I enjoy it a lot purely for that setup. The ending might not be the best, but maybe it was a good way of easing people into the style of storytelling that they'd be getting down the line with the Twilight Zone. And I guess above all, it still gets across Rod Serling's message that wonderful as technology can be, and all the wonderful things that we can do with it, as people, we still need that most basic of things, human company. Up there, up there in the vastness of space, in the void that is sky, up there is an enemy known as isolation. It sits there in the stars waiting, waiting with the patience of eons, forever waiting in the twilight zone. If you'd like to leave feedback for any upcoming episodes of the Twilight Zone podcast, please send email to feedback at the Twilight Zone Podcast.com and visit us at the Twilight Zone Podcast.com for all new episodes.